Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. So this is the last of a series that I'm doing on the uh, nature of manifestation. Manifestation is making plain and evident that which already exists. And if you miss any of the other ones, you can get them on our website. There's a podcast available and you can listen to them. But just a quick recap, which I always like to give. In the first week, I spoke of the need for us to manifest who we are in a transparent way, showing both the good and the bad, the light and the darkness, the yin and the yang of who we are, rather than trying to present an edited version of ourselves. In other words, make plain and evident who we really are. And in the second week, I spoke of the way that you know, the world does seem to be manifesting at the moment. Uh, what's plain and evident are the global problems that exist at the moment. Wars, pandemics, refugees, global warming. And I spoke of the need for us to take responsibility for all of that and use our understanding and the truth that's become evident of the connectedness of all things for us to make this world a better place. And in the third week, I looked at the way that we see reality, the idea that our minds actually provide us actually with a a virtual reality of the world based upon what our minds actually can perceive. So it's a bit of a virtual reality. And And I talked about the importance, therefore, of expanding our consciousness so as to gain new insights that would otherwise not be seen. And last week, I looked at our breath being the seat of reality, that the breath is the bridge that we stand on, and it links what's going on in our heads and what's going on within us to what is going on in the greater universe. You've got everything out there, and... Our breath links that, and then we've got everything that's going on in here, our minds, or whatever's going on, and our breath again links that. So our breath involves the inner and outer, and therefore it's the place where we can experience the reality of the oneness of all things. It is, I was suggesting, the most alive place on earth, in that it connects the aliveness within us to the aliveness around us. And today I want to talk a little bit about how we manifest in in the world in a way that makes a loving and positive contribution to everything that's around us. To be true to the concept that God utters in us, as Thomas Merton would say, if we are true to the thought of him we were meant to embody, we are full of his actuality and we find him everywhere in ourselves. And the first thing that I would want to say about how we manifest this, the first thing we have to do is we have to set our intention to be of good in the world, to have a positive effect. We have to set that as an intention. You know, so many of us, we just float around the place hoping that things will get better. But we're given our will and we have to decide that what we're going to do is to have a positive effect. You know, in meditation, one of the first things they they teach in meditation is you have to set your intention 
at the beginning. You have to set your intention that you're going to be faithful to your practice. Otherwise, your mind just wanders off. You have to be set your attention that you're going to focus on your breath. And so the same is true in life. We have to set our intention to actually have a positive effect in the world. And that decision is very important because it sets the tone for everything else. If you've not set that, then, you know, you haven't got anything to come back on. But once you've set that intention... It sets the tone for everything else that happens. It has to be the most important thing in our lives. It's like going on a diet, really. I mean, I don't think, you know, I imagine all of us have been on diets, you know, throughout our lives. And if you do serious about a diet, your diet has to become the most important thing in the world. You know, you'll go to this incredibly important meeting and you'll think, well, I ought to have a sandwich beforehand because I'll feel better for the meeting. No. If you're on a diet, you're saying, I'm not going to have that sandwich because I'm on a diet. It's more important. And the diet never works unless you have set your intention. And the same is true, you know, with the effect on our lives. Our intention has to be that we're here for the good of others and for the good of the world. And that has to be the most important thing. Everything else is under that. It helps us make all other decisions and actions in the light of that decision. Now, we may not always be true to it. You know, we may get it wrong sometimes, but at least we know what we're about. And if we fail, we can adjust our lives accordingly. And that decision is the most important thing we do. We decide which side we're on. We decide to be part of the solution rather than the problem. We give our lives to that. And, you know, once we've done that, The amazing thing is, you don't have to do anything else. Once you've done that, there's nothing else to do. It's not about trying to do things. It's about making that decision and then resting in God, the ground of all being, love, whatever you like to call it, whatever it is at the center of the universe, and let that beingness guide us. It's so tempting to think that once you've decided to make a difference in the world, you then have to make a list of all the things you have to do in order to make it. I have to be like Greta Thunberg, I have to go and do this, I have to go and do that. You know, no. How this or that plan will make a difference is just what our mind or our ego is thinking about, you know, what we can come up with to what solutions are out there. It is the decision to rest in the order of all things at the center of the universe that makes the difference. I know that I often think, you know, being a, a, a you know, spiritual leader or priest, you know, I don't think I can make a you know, great difference. I can solve problems myself and I go around, you know, charging around trying to find solutions for things. I think it's going to make everyone very happy. Only to see things not work and, you know, think people not being very happy. But, you know, you've tried to do it and you end up failing at doing that. We think we know what's right, but actually it's just our minds working things out, generally from an imperfect perspective. You know, I've told this story many times before and, you know, like with your parents, you hear the same jokes at the dinner table all the time. Those of you who've been around a while will have heard these stories, but some of you won't have heard these stories. I love the story about, about Chang the farmer. 
And Chang had only one horse. And one morning he woke up and he found that horse gone. All his friends came around, you know, they said, oh, Chang, what bad luck. You're one and only horse and it's gone. Farmer looked at them impassively and said, good luck, bad luck. Who knows? Anyway, next week the farmer woke up again and his paddock was full of horses. His one horse had returned and brought with them the wild horses from all around the area. And all his friends, of course, came around and go, Chang, what great news. What luck, absolutely fantastic. And Chang looked at them impassively and said, good luck, bad luck. Who knows? And the next day, of course, Chang's only son uh, began to break in the new horses And while working on the very first one, he was thrown to the ground and broke his leg badly. What bad luck, his friend said. But the farmer came back and again replied, good luck, bad luck. Who knows? Because later in the month, the emperor declared war. And the army came to take away all the men in the village, except for the farmer's son, because he'd broken his leg. Good luck, bad luck. Who knows? You know, the thing is, we do not have the breadth of vision or the perspective to know what what effect our actions will have in the long term. I love that, this uh, one of the phrases from the Tao Te Ching. It says, the ancient masters were profound and subtle. Their wisdom was unfathomable. There is no way to describe it. All we can describe is their appearance. They were careful as someone crossing an ice-over stream, alert as warriors in enemy territory, courteous as a guest, fluid as melted ice, shapeable as a block of wood, receptive as a valley, clear as a glass of water. Do you have the patience to wait until the mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till right action arises by itself? The master doesn't seek fulfillment, not seeking, not expecting. She is present and can welcome all things. And the key phrase there, obviously, is do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till right action arises by itself? We have to wait. We're talking about, you know, the effect we have on the world. We have to wait in our breath on that bridge for the wisdom to arise within us, for insight to come about and to guide us. Standing on the bridge of our breath, we have to look out and we have to wait for the mud to settle and for right action to become obvious. So often, our minds are in control, but all our minds can really do is rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's not that our good ideas don't work. It's just that they're those ideas are operating from the same level of consciousness that created the problems that we're trying to solve. And therefore, as Einstein pointed out, nothing really changes. You know, you can see it in the world political scene. 
people try new ideas and initiatives, and by and large, you know, they don't make a huge amount of difference. They're still refugees, there are still wars, there are still the same crises over and over again, year after year. But to manifest real change, I think you have to go to a different place. And it isn't about good ideas. It's about engaging the heart. And when you do that, you see things in a different way. It's not about make decisions, making decisions about what's important and what's not important, but it's actually about trusting the process of our own individual lives and trusting our hearts. Trusting the circumstances that happen to us, the people that we meet and what comes our way, and know that this is what we've been given to deal with. And then responding to those events, to people, to the process, in the most loving way that we can. We have to rest in that. And it's through this that we make a difference. It's through resting in that and responding that we make a difference. And I, I've been through the logic before, you know, how that works. But, you know, we are connected to the universe, each of us, in a completely unique way. The universe comes to each of us uniquely. And in turn, we bring to it a unique consciousness that's been built by all the experience that we have in our lives. And therefore, what we do in our unique lives has a unique value, even if we don't see it, because we're all connected and we have a unique connection into the universe. And that pair of fives that we've been dealt in the poker game of life is actually a a winning hand because the universe has dealt it to us and then stack the deck to make it a winning hand. It's not to say that we don't do our best to change things around us, just that we try to apply ourselves to what is around us in the most loving way. It's tempting to think up ideas and try to put them into action, but really we have to stand on that bridge and our breath and wait for that wisdom to come through us. That's what Einstein meant when he said that a problem will not be solved by the same level of consciousness that created it. We somehow have to change our consciousness to solve the problems that exist. Wars, Afghanistan, COVID, climate change, dictators oppressing their people, the lack of harmony and respect in politics, the polarization of views, discrimination, corruption, the ongoing refugee crisis around the world, they will not be solved by new systems. We need to think from what I just talked about the other day, the second axial age, the, the change in consciousness is actually there. The global consciousness, the idea of unity of consciousness and awareness of the oneness of all things, engagement with human uh, mortality and a new focus on compassion, empathy, ethics, individual responsibility for the other, and social justice, all as important synergies in our human social existence. It has to be a new way of looking at it. That's, that's on a micro level, macro level. That's, that's the big picture. But we can only operate individually on a micro level. We can only operate from our own lives. And we, we think of them as trivial, of having no real import. Like that Chinese farmer, though, we don't know. Gandhi's mother never knew, or Mother Teresa's father. 
or Tim Berners-Lee's school friends, or or Harriet Tubman's fellow slaves. They didn't know the effect. None of these people knew the effect that these people were going to have. We don't know the effect that we have just by living our lives with dignity and love. And when we focus on our breath, we're consciously, the focus on the breath is consciously loving the universe. It is an act of love driven by our decision to do good in the world. My definition of love is giving with no expectation of a return. Giving with no expectation of a return. Giving without a bargain being involved. No outcome to be negotiated. No end point in mind, just giving. And that's what we do when we focus on our breath. We give ourselves to the universe in love out of that decision that we've made. It's given actually with no expectation of return because we can't know the effect that we're having. You know, obviously, we were all given our lives in the same way. We were given our lives out of love with no expectation. No one's come to you and say, here's the bill. We're given our lives with no expectation of return. In this way, everything comes into being as a gift. Trees, plants, animals, humans. We all appear as a gift with no expectation of return. And for the last 13.7 billion years, the universe has evolved in this way. A consciousness that's given itself with no expectation of a return. So when we love, when we do that breath thing, when we actually love, when we give ourselves with no expectation of return, what we're doing is we're uniting with the power at the center of the universe and becoming one with it becoming one with the currency that has always been at the center of the universe, which is love. When we give with no expectation of return, we become love, and we become at one with the deep purposes of the universe because we express the love in the universe. And how does that work? Well, it's all about the way we respond to life as it comes to us. If we are all of a one with the cosmos, then those things that uniquely happen to us in our lives are what we're given by the universe to use as a way of bringing love into the world. Everything that happens to us, good or bad, is there to enable us to respond with love and therefore make our contribution to the unfolding of the evolution of consciousness. We're all involved in this emotional alchemy, turning the base emotions into love. All that happens to us, the pain, the distress, the joy, the happiness, it's there for us to bring about a shift in the evolution of consciousness through us transforming it into love, to give with no expectation of return, whatever happens, even unto death. This is the way of the heart as opposed to the way of the mind. To follow the way of the heart is to abandon the me first of the mind and instead to take up the role of a living sacrifice to fulfill our original decision to be of worth to the world. Sacrifice from the original meaning, two words, Latin words, sacre ficio, to be made holy. We are made holy in our love. 
The way of the heart is the way by which each of us is made holy so as to become the light for others to follow and therefore help in that transformation of consciousness. The way of the heart is the way by which we give ourselves in our lives to all that surround us. We allow the universe to give us what it will and when we attempt to respond from our hearts rather than our minds, in doing so, it becomes not about survival, but about being a portal for love in the world. We are therefore becoming that love by which the universe was given, by which this planet was given, our lives were given. And in dealing in this currency, we become that which we deal in. We become the love at the center of the universe, and our lives find their true purpose. Because love is the currency that makes everything turn. Our role in life is to discover this and become a part of it. There isn't anything more. And the way we engage the heart is through the breath, through the focus, the loving focus on the breath. And that reading from Revelation speaks directly into that. It's about the eternal becoming manifest through consciousness. The true meaning of eternal life is when we move away from the judgments that our mind makes about space and time. Our minds create space and time. It's a perception. And when we move away from that, if we can, we enter into that eternal life. And we stand on the bridge and look into that eternal now. And we then see that heaven is this world truly seen, seen from that loving consciousness. God's dwelling place becomes with the people. We breathe the spirit, the spirari, breath, spirit, the same word, in and out. I always find talking about eternal life and letting go of space and time can be a little confusing. And it's useful to bring it down to how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis and how we manifest in the world that's around us. And simply we're asked to be transparent in the way we present ourselves. We're asked to be aware and concerned about the way the world is. We're asked to realize that our minds interpret everything for us and be aware of the limitations that causes when we try to work out what's going on. And we're asked to make the decision to be of good in the world and then rest in the love at the center of the universe to show us what to do next. From there, it's about responding to life as it comes to us in the most loving way. We cannot hope to see the impact that our lives have on the world, but we can know that if we act in a loving way, we can be sure that we're helping to bring about that new heaven and that new earth. And we might not always get it right, but just as we fail in our meditation when our minds get in the way, so we have to come back to loving when we notice we failed, just as we come back to our breath in meditation. That is to act literally in good faith, in the faith that there is an order in the universe that we're a part of, and by participating in that order, we're manifesting our best selves in the world. We cannot do more than to manifest, to make real our best selves and leave the universe to look after the rest. Thank you.
So um, just come to a little bit in our service where there's always a microphone here if anyone wants to come back at me, uh, anything that I've said in the service or just wants to share anything, can, can be of uh, anything at all. So just have to either get over and walk over there or whatever it is and I'll, I'll see that you're there. But I, I just, you know, think this whole thing about responding uh, to the universe and what's there is so important. And not only important for us as individuals, but I think, you know, it is important for us as the chapel uh, to be willing to do that, to be willing to respond to what, you know, is coming our way. And out of that, I just want to let you know that um, as a chapel, uh, we've decided um, that the homeless shelter is closing on November the 1st, uh, the SOS um, thing at the intercept lot. And there's going to be a situation where that the people without homes are going to have nowhere to go after that particular point. And, you know, it gets very cold here. And um, it used to be uh, the Catholic Church used to step up to do that. They're long, no longer able to do that. And so once again, this year, we've decided, the board, myself, everybody decided to step up. And we're going to be open our doors, opening our doors to... Um, people without homes over the whole winter period. Uh, from November the 1st, uh, we'll have people sleeping in the gallery. And if there's an overflow, they'll sleep up here in the sanctuary. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be mats that they'll be sleeping on. Uh, they'll be supervised by a couple of uh, professionals uh, who are going to be coming in from uh, recovery units and things like that to be able to do that. And it is our privilege to be able to make that space available to them. We're going to be doing it from the 1st of November to the 31st of April. So they're going to be part of our community during that period of time. Um, if anybody's interested in, in sort of helping in any way, there's not much we need doing. Uh, I think at Christmas we want to put good, goodie bags on all their, their um, things on so Santa has actually come here. I think that would be a nice thing that we provide a sort of Santa thing here. And what they mainly like is like socks and things like that. So, you know, that's what we're looking for. Unlike the children who want iPads and you know, earbuds and things like that. So it'll mainly be that sort of thing. Or if anybody's interested in, you know, creating the li liaison between those people who are, who are going to be supervising and me at the chapel, it'd be great to have someone who, who might be willing to do that. So there are things that people can do. We're going to have professional cleaners coming in every day. Uh, there's going to be... Um, air purifiers in each of the rooms so the air gets purified and we're opening the sanctuary up just in case we get you know more than 15 people so that we're not pushing people together um you know there will be a covid policy that will i mean it's changing every day at the moment covid policies so we, we really need to see what the situation's like uh, by november the first and we'll put our, our policy together that so we'll give you more news about how that's going on but that is happening from november the first till April the 31st. It's just our way that we can, you know, stop people freezing in the hedgerows and, and dying and things like that, because it's a serious issue here. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.